Chancellor Kay Jackson. What a pleasure to speak to this young man. What, what a great story. It's from the Atlanta area, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, you know, played football, high school, and uh, D1 in college. Uh, struggles to find a job, decides to take a, uh, a job for a year in China to be an English teacher. Why does he choose China? He tells a fascinating story of being six years old with his mother uh, at, at breakfast table. And the mother asks, you know, what places do you want to go? And he says, China. And you simply won't believe his answer. It's, it's, it's a great, great answer that I've, I've never heard before. But what happens in China is the, um, is the impetus, is the engine at which 14 Days in Beijing, his book that he ends up writing, that he's written, uh, is all about. Some traumatic things happen. He ends up incarcerated. He is in jail for 14 days. And what happens there is absolutely incredible and how he got there and who he meets. And he takes complete accountability for it, but it's a great, great journey. Uh, he doesn't decide. He tells everybody the story when he comes back to the States and he has a good friend who's in the, the book business and convinces him to commit the story to paper. Everybody loves hearing the story and he commits it to paper and then he creates an outline and months later out comes this book and um, it became a number one bestseller on Amazon. And uh, he's written two books after that. He does coaching now. He coaches football in his uh, in his neighborhood, in his towns where he grew up there in, outside of Atlanta uh, for the high school. Uh, he has a couple other jobs that he does. Um, some He's a, a, a bustling entrepreneur, but just a fascinating young man. And his book is just incredible. 14 Days in Beijing. I highly recommend it. It just keeps you right on the edge. Uh, the tension it creates and what happens is, is fascinating. And uh, he's a great, great storyteller. You're going to enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. Chancellor Kay Jackson, thank you so much for being here. Should, uh, should everybody write, does everybody have a book in them? 
Yes, absolutely. We all have stories that uh, we can tell. Um, it's just up to you on if you're willing and open enough to share your story with the world. But everybody has a story that they can share, for sure. Now, you had some inspiration. You had a good friend who kind of coached you along, kind of made the outline after you had this this tremendous experience in China. Uh, and, you know, that that was really what thrust you into to being an author. Yeah. Um, yeah. I knew I wanted to do something with the story. I'm like, I ain't go through I ain't go through no experience like that for no reason. Like, I'm supposed to do something with the story. I just had no clue what. Um, so he just put the bug in my ears like, yeah, you should write a book about it. I'm like, Boy, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good idea. Where do I start? Like, I don't even know where to start. So, you know what I'm saying? He threw me a little alley-oop, gave me an outline, and I just took it and ran with it. Um, so it's just like everybody everybody has been through a traumatic experience. Right. Everybody has. Some some have experienced multiple traumatic experiences. Well, just tell the story. What happened from beginning to end? That's all you got to do. Hmm. And you describe it as your first kind of attempt at it was just one paragraph. And it was just a bunch of, you know, it's just very, you know, kind of loose and everything. But then he opened it up and you stretched it out and you edited it and you edited it. And here we have, uh, you know, your great book. Oh, yeah. So I just got it on paper. I really wasn't concerned or focused on punctuation and mm. grammar and Indents and start man. I just wrote like I said, it'd be one long paragraph, <laughs> pages of just one long paragraph, just to get it on paper. First, you know what I'm saying you try to edit as you go, as you write. Mm. That's gonna slow you down, and you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna get unmotivated, and you're gonna think of you're gonna think of it as like you're doing a school assignment. So don't even think it. Just write mm. it for right now. Write it like you send a long ass text message. Just do that. <laughs> We can go back and perfect it after the fact. We can do all that after the fact. But as of just right now, man, you get it on paper. Now that's great. A long test text message. That's very, very that's, – that, that puts a great image in my mind. Mark Twain has a great quote where he uh, he's writing a, a letter to his sister and says, you know, I apologize that this is so long. I didn't have enough time to shorten it. So, you know, the kind of the first time when you write, you like you said, you're just kind of vomiting everything out and then you go back and you make the edits. Uh, so your journey, uh, China, you have a great story where you're sitting with your mother and you want three locations to go to and you, you blurt out China and you have a very amusing reason why you wanted to visit China as a child. Yeah, so um, it was a, a Saturday morning when I was probably like seven, eight years old. My mother asked my brother and I, was three places in the world y'all want to go? And I make sure that we, uh, we go. China. Why China? That's where everything is made. That's the only that's the only reasonable explanation I can give her. And just but at, you know what I'm saying, just up until that point in my uh, you know what I'm saying in life, I noticed that like, hey man, we it's a lot of products here. In America, that it's made from China. Like you look on the back of anything, bro, it's gonna say it's made in one place. I'm like, bro, what? What are these people doing over there? That you know, what I'm saying they doing something over there that we ain't doing over here. Like they got all the product, they, everything comes from there. Like, I want to see this land that everything is made, <laughs> where everything is made. So I was like, that's the only interest I had, and 
little did I know that that small table conversation would uh, not only be uh, would manifest, um, but just be a catalyst of change um, to just my whole journey and shaping me into who I am. For sure. Absolutely. So you you see an ad where you graduate, you're, you're kind of struggling, you don't know what to do, and you see an ad to teach English in China, and immediately you apply. Yeah. Yeah, I've been applying. I was up, up until that point. I've been applying for jobs for about eight months, um, hmm. landing interviews, getting flown out to do the interview. Some interviews, you know, what I'm saying, put up hotels, a whole nine, wow. and I just could not seem to land a position at anywhere. I'm mainly applying for corporate uh, positions, but just various companies across the nation, um, and just couldn't couldn't land anything. Um, so I was like, man, something got to shake. I got to reapproach or I got to re re-strategize how I'm going about job searching. Because clearly the universe does not want me to go into the corporate field. That's it. You know what I'm saying? There's something in that field that ain't good for me. So I need to look elsewhere. Um, and while I was doing my job searching, I seen a tab that was uh, for international. So I'm like, damn, why haven't I thought to look outside the U.S. for opportunities? Like, Man, that's let me see what's going on outside the globe. I mean, at least around the globe. And that's when I seen, oh yeah, teach English in China, uh, uh, teach English in China to children. That sounds lit. That sounds like something I could see myself doing. I know I could do that. Um, reading the job description, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I could do this. Requirements are very basic. Bachelor's degree, don't matter what your degree is in. Clean background, native English speaker. I'm like, oh, yeah, check, check, check. Boom, what's happening? <laughs> All I got to do is submit a resume. That's number two clicks of a button. Boom, boom. All right. And I just went on. And I went on about my, uh, my job search and hear back from the recruiter a couple of days later. We set up an interview, do the interview. A few more days, she reaches back out to me and says they want to move forward with me. So this was the very first job to tell me yes after just eight months of just trial and error. Wow. Um, so it was no ifs, ands, or buts. You know what I'm saying about it, like okay, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and it just so happened to be on the other side of the world. So you go to China, and I believe to this point you've you've only been out of the country like the London and the Bahamas, but so you've had some mm-hmm. international travel, and you get there and you're 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 doing well, and then you do something that you you take full accountability for that lands you in in jail. Yeah, so. Um, China was absolutely amazing. Um, I was supposed to do a year. That's how long my contract was. Um, so um, up until everything hitting the fan, um, China was absolutely amazing. Best experience ever. Um, definitely learned a lot, grew a lot, um, and just enjoyed enjoyed the experience overall. Even teaching, that was what I was over there to do. I was like, oh, yeah, just teaching thing kind of cool. You know what I'm saying? This, I can see myself doing this for a few years, without a doubt. Um, so China was hands down the best experience I've ever had. I encourage everybody, of course, to travel, but you can't get a full experience just traveling unless you're going to be over there for a couple months. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can live someplace, Live someplace else. And it ain't got to be long. I only did six months in China. <laughs> I ain't got a full experience. So it don't take, you know what I'm saying? You ain't got to be there too long, but live someplace else and just see how much it changes you for sure. And see how much you learn about yourself too. 
Um, but yeah, I enjoyed China. And then on April 4th, 2019, that's when uh, things hit the fan. I was arrested um, for cannabis, possession of cannabis. And I got caught, you know what I'm saying, at my apartment. I was pre-gaming. I just got, I just got done pre-gaming, getting ready to head to the event um, to meet with friends and colleagues. That's when uh, police showed up at the door unannounced. It's random. <laughs> um, but mind you, um, they've shown up, put up to the apartment randomly before. I don't mm. mention it in the book, but this isn't the first time. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, okay, they do this often. You know what I'm saying? So I was just, I really had no clue why they was at the door. You know what I'm saying? The first reason they came was just to check out documents. So I'm like, okay, they must do this more than once. Um, so that's the impression I'm under. So I'm like, okay, let me put everything up. And open the doors, you know what I'm saying, greet them. And uh, of course, he's talking back to me. I don't know what this man is saying because of the language barrier. <laughs> and it's written on my face like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. And so he speaks into his phone and into the translator app and he shows me the translation and pretty much asked me if I was on drugs. I'm like, nah, bro, what you talking about? Are you tripping? No. <laughs> they, you know what I'm saying? He speaks back into the phone, shows me the translation. Are there any drugs in the house? Uh, No, family. How, how you doing? First and foremost, you good? How you doing today? Yeah. Passport? You might need to see my passport because clearly there's some confusion going on. Let me go grab my documentation. So that's what y'all here for. Let me go do that. So I grab my documentation, bring it back. Um, he looks over it. Um, the other two officers just walking around the apartment, just scoping the place out. Um, time passes. Another officer enters the apartment. He has something in his hand. He hands that item to the officer that was uh, talking to me originally. And that officer communicates to me that I need to pee into a cup. So it was a drug test right there on the spot. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's over with. <laughs> right then and there, I was like, yeah, it's over with. Um, so do the drug test, fail the drug test, of course. Um, more officers have entered the apartment now. And one officer in particular speaks English fluently. And he's asked, he's questioning me about the drug test and who I get the weed from when the last time I smoked, da 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 And I'm from the city of Atlanta. And this is the city of finesse. You live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. So I'm just sitting there trying to finesse the situation. Um, every question he posed, first thing that comes to my mind, I'm just blurting out. But mind you, I'm still high and I'm panicking and I'm nervous. Anxiety is at an all time high. It's a very serious situation. We're in the middle. It's a fog of war right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bullets flying and I'm pissing down my leg. But. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm keeping my composure <laughs> and answering the questions to the best of my ability. Um, but it got to the point where I, I was catching myself lying. So I knew he was catching me lying. But I'm like, hey, I'm from Atlanta. This, hey, live by the finesse, die by the finesse. So I'm steady trying to finesse the situation until he just made it completely obvious that I was caught red-handed and that, the, you know what I'm saying, the charade was up. And as soon as they made it clear that I was, you know what I'm saying, it was over with, you know what I'm saying? It was like a huge relief. For real, for real. Like all the I'm like, damn. I died by the finesse. Hmm. Hey, it is what it is. I lived to finesse another day. Now I gotta hold myself accountable. Um, so I fess up to it. Um, they want me to show them my stash, so I take them to where my stash is. But when I get there, it's already on display. You know what I'm saying? So they already knew. They just trying. They was trying to see if they can get any extra information out of me. Um, so 
throw the cuffs on me, confiscate everything, and then escort me out of the my apartment building and set me down in the police van. And now I'm just reflecting. I'm like, just like, damn, boy, this, all right, this is happening. Don't know what's going to happen, how this thing going to play out. Um, but, hey, we're going to learn as we go. You know what I mean? It is what it is at this point. So we're going to take it step by step, man. Um, and now it's like all the anxiety and all the f- stress that I was feeling while being questioned uh, about, you know what I'm saying, failing the drug test. All in all, just hanging on to the hope that they don't come across my stash. Now that that situation has passed and I'm actually, this arrest is actually happening. It's being conducted. Now I'm just curious as to how this thing from the playoff. Like, I'm just so in the moment now. At first I was like, oh boy, how this, this ain't looking too good. This ain't looking too good. But now it's like, okay, it's still not looking good, but I'm really just curious as to, What's going to happen, bro? <laughs> like, how is this, you know what I'm saying? What is going to take place? Um, so I told myself, I remember telling myself just to, hey, man, I know I'm going to be good when it's all said and done. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be good. I just don't know how this thing's going to play out, but I know I'm going to be good. Um, take note of every minor detail because it's going to be a great story to tell once you're out of this predicament. And most importantly, enjoy this high one last time because we don't know what the hell's going to happen to us, boy. So... We go to one precinct there briefly, then go to another precinct. And that's why we're there for quite a few hours. Um, and my official interrogation is done there, which is dramatic within the book because I'm in like this electric chair doing it. Um, then, of course, mugshot, handprint, that whole nine. And then the remainder of chapter one, I'm in the holding cell with like eight or nine other Chinese men. Um and then they finally, after hours and hours and hours and pass, they finally come get me, bring me back to the lobby, and hand me my basket of clothes, tell me get dressed. I'm like, Whew. see, this is what happen when you be compliant, you work with these folks, you know what I'm saying? Hey, man, things work out in your favor. So I throw my clothes on, I'm just sitting there waiting for orders. They had me follow them through a door behind the front desk, and now we in the hallway. At the end of the hallway is a small room crowded with officers. So I followed the officer to the room. And as I enter the room, I can only assume that this is some form of evidence room because it's just, it's evidence bags everywhere. Just, it's just no, no sense of organization. It's just shit everywhere. It's just cluster. Um, But in front of me on the table is everything that was confiscated from my apartment. And to the right are TV monitors where they watch the footage from the officer's body camera. Um, So they weigh the weed up right in front of me. And this is a, this is a very interesting phase of the book because um, one, as a reader, you're curious to know how much does he actually have on him. True, you know what I'm saying one, and then two, this is one of the very first signs that I received from my ancestors, let me know how long I was going to be in this situation or in mm. this predicament. Because as you read, you don't know how long you're going to be there. You know what I'm right. saying? Until one day your name finally get called. Um, so this, that was one of the, huh? I'm sorry to interrupt. You're building the tension here. It's perfect the way you wrote it and the way I'm reading it. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is gonna be the very. This was um, it's one of the very first signs. So they weighed the weed up, and it totals to totals out to be 1.4 grams. Hmm. Now, for those that partake in cannabis, you know, 1.4 grams, man, I ain't talking about nothing. 
If you don't partake in cannabis, we're talking about units of measurement. 1.4 grams of anything is not a lot. So it's like, I ain't have nothing but like a joint for real, for real worth. Um, but you look at that decimal, 1.4. If you remove that decimal, what number do you get? 14. 1.4. Oh, 1. Oh, Take that decimal, right. 14. Hence the title of the book. And that was one of the very first signs I received. Let me know how long I'm going to be there. Right. I had no clue once I was actually transported to the actual jail. And once I got, so after they did all of that, put everything on paper, had me sign thumbprinted. Now we get back in the van. I'm like, okay, I don't know what, what I don't know what the hell's going to happen next. Um, of course, ain't no communication going on because of the language barrier. Um, but I'm <laughs> like, I could just only hope they finna take me home. They finna let me go. Cause I done been compliant. And gave out of finesse y'all with a good story in my interrogation. Like, hey man, we should be good. So we riding, and then about forty minutes pass, and we arrive at the facility detailed with tall walls and barbed wire. And I was like, all right, well, this we just getting started. That's what <laughs> that's what it's looking like. We just getting started. So um, entered the we enter the facility, go to the nurse's office, do a physical. Um, and then, uh, you know what I'm saying? Have me change my clothes, um, give me my uniform, give me a, a tub of water bowl and one plastic spoon. And then take me upstairs to uh, the second floor. We get to cell 209. And CO opens the door. And instantly my psych is thrown. Because mind you, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning. So, you know what I'm saying? People are asleep. But instantly all I see is just a huddle of bodies sleeping like as a collection and I'm just like, just like we're looking at them crazy. And then across from the people sleeping are two inmates standing up against the wall, wide awake, watching them sleep. So I'm just trying to get a feel like for what's going on. And then of course the two inmates that are up, we, we, you know what I'm saying? We up. So we make eye contact. Now we just sitting here looking dumbfounded at each other. Cause the last thing they expected was, this dude with locks come walking through the door. And then, of course, me being the, the, the fresh inmate, last thing I expect to see people watching other people sleep. What is going on here? What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> so I step into the cell. Um, cell isn't that big, man. It's probably like, I say, 15 to 25 feet, you know what I'm saying, in length, right. width, and height. Um, just enough to house 15 people. So I do a head count. It's 15 of us in this cell. The beds, which are nothing but wooden planks that these folks sleeping on, there are nine of them in total. So I'm like, that's, and in, in the book, I describe it as a slumber party. You know what I'm saying? Back in the day, when, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you had a slumber party, a sleepover with your friends or, or your kinfolk. And it was, you know what I'm saying? We got to sleep head to foot, man. So, you know, so we got to make room. We got to make do now. That's how it look in there. Um, the cell, I mean, it was a bathroom in the cell to my left. It's his own separate room, but the walls made of glass, so everybody in the cell could see inside. You got the sink, squat toilet, so that's pretty much a hole in the ground that you got to squat over. Uh, your shower head, which ain't nothing. I mean, your shower was nothing but a water hose with a shower head duct taped to it. You got black mold coating the walls, gnats and flies and stuff flying around, insects. <laughs> so it's not the most sanitary place, to say the least. Um, so I approached the slumber party, 
trying to find a spot to lie down. And one of the inmates that was uh, up, he wakes two people up to make room for me, and they do. And they had me set my bowl and spoon in the little cubby. And I just lie down on my back between these two Chinese dudes, my hands on my chest, and I'm just standing up at the bright light on the ceiling. And that's when reality fully, fully kicked in. Like, all right, yeah, you in here. <laughs> you in here now, boy. Like, yeah, this is real. Um, nobody knows you're here. We don't know how long we're going to be here. Nothing has been explained to you as far as how this process works or even how the jail operates. It's not looking too good. But, mm. hey, got to hold myself accountable. You know what I'm saying? I can't blame nobody for me being in this uh, situation but me. Um, so, ain't no point of crying over spilled milk. It is what it is. Now, moving forward, what needs to take place to speed up the process of me getting up out of here? Well, people got to realize I'm in here first and foremost. So how would that happen? Well, you I was supposed to meet friends today, but I got locked up. So I didn't show up. I'm sure they called me. Is that a red flag? Uh, no, nah, it's weird though. Now, when I don't show up for work Saturday and Sunday for my eight o'clock classes, oh, hell's breaking loose. Because one, they got to find somebody to cover my classes last minute. And then two, um, one of the uh, colleagues I was going to meet at the event the day I got arrested, me and her work at the same school. So well, I didn't show up to the event, and I'm sure they called me. I didn't answer. And now I ain't showing up for work, and now they and they still calling me, and I still ain't answering. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Red flag now. Where is he? So I'm like, okay, boom. That's one aspect, at least as far as China. Now, back home, I'm like, I had a girlfriend back at the time that still lived in America, that we, and we talked frequently, regularly. I'm like, well, I don't respond to her messages. That's going to be another red flag. So hmm. I know I'm going to have to sit through the weekend at least before I become missing on people's radar. So here it is now Friday morning. I'm going to have to come Monday. We're going to see if, you know what I'm saying, maybe some changes take place or not. But I know I'm going to have to at least make it to Monday. Um, so, yeah, man, it was locked up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 15 people in one cell, nine wooden beds, um, three soups a day. And literally all I had was one Tupperware bowl and one plastic spoon for 14 days straight. Yeah, and you talk about uh, you get bread and it's very, it's not good bread and you kind of find the one that hasn't been touched as much. And Indeed. you talk about how difficult it is to use their toilet which is you know you have to squat squat toilet and what happens there and uh and there's no english speakers but eventually you get moved into a cell that has english speakers where you start to learn a little bit more about what's what your predicament and what's happening yeah so that's and that's when it's a huge shift within the story because first three chapters is just uh me me just being the only form of communication right you know what i'm saying with anybody for real, for real. So it's just a lot of reflecting and just my viewpoint of this experience. Um, and then once on chapter four, day four, I moved to a new cell and I'm amongst two English speakers. And now I can start connecting dots as far as how this process works and how the jail operates. But as far as how long I'm going to be here, it's still a mystery. Like I have mm. no clue. But ironically, everybody else knows 
all right. of their details as far as <laughs> their, you know what I'm saying, their sentence and what their was what their uh charges are and all of that. Everything to a detail. I was the only one that just didn't receive any information. Um but that's what makes the story what it is at the same time. Um so yeah, so it it gets a little bit better just cuz I can communicate with people now and then you get to learn um, just about these characters and their backgrounds, what happened yeah. to them, you know what I'm saying, to be in here. And then not only them, now they both was fluent in Mandarin and English. So now I can I can also communicate with the, uh, the Chinese inmates. So it's like, okay, we get to learn about something. A lot of these characters, a lot of them have interesting stories and learn about you meet other foreigners and who have crazier stories um, and worse situations. Um, but all in all, we all in the same boat, just waiting on our name and our number to get called so we can get, get on up out of there. <laughs> Your use of, uh, of language when you write chancellors is, is, is so grabbing and, and inviting and, the, and you're creating that tension because uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. There's two particular words that you used a couple of times that I didn't understand, but then you later kind of define those two words are world and mm-hmm. quiet. <laughs> yeah so world um i got my partner that and um inspired me to write 14 days i got world from him um he was using it at first and just me being a communication major just hearing him use it and just you know what I'm saying typical conversation i developed my own definition for mm-hmm. it just based on how he used it um, so of course I picked it up and now it's just, it's like second nature. It's like breathing now. Um, and I, I got a lot of other people saying it and using the emojis and stuff now as, as well, but world essentially, I use it in two contexts. Um, one is as if somebody's saying word, like, you know what I'm saying? There's an agreement or understanding amongst us. And I also use it in the sense of, as somebody would say, amen. You know what I'm saying? After like a prayer or just paying homage to, you know what I'm saying, whatever religious belief um they follow, or, you know what I'm saying, practice they follow or you know what I'm saying, do. Um, but for me, I'm not religious at all. I'm spiritual. I'm very into the universe and the metaphysical um world. So it's just like when I say world, that's like my version of saying amen. That's my way of paying homage to the universe, you know what I'm saying, which we are all a part of. Um so and then quiet, uh, I got that from my boy Bari. <laughs> and I just, you know what I'm saying, same as hearing world. Like, okay, just hearing them use it and how they use it. I'm saying, okay, I get what it what it means. But um, when I say it's quiet, that means it, it, it's not happening. Like, it, it's, it's, it's a dead move. It, it's not, it, it, it's nothing. Like, it, it's literally, it's silence. It's absolutely nothing going on. It's quiet. It's nothing. It's dead. It's not happening. So that's what quiet means. So somebody was like, hey, bro, let's go. Let's go do something that, that you really ain't trying to do. Oh, nah, fam, it's quiet for me. I I can't even do it, bro. I, y'all got that, though. Y'all live y'all best life, though. You know what I'm saying? I can't even do it. All right, world, bro. All right, world, my boy. Bring <laughs> <laughs> it all together. And the other, the other thing that uh, you're you're continually praying to your relatives and your ancestors and looking for guidance. And did that relationship develop stronger while you were incarcerated, or was it weakened, or was it always the same? Did it magnify at all? I feel like it was definitely it magnified it when I was got locked up because I ain't really get I ain't get introduced to that practice until 
like August hmm. 2018. And that was like two months prior to me uh, going to China. So I just got introduced to the practice um, before I even went out there. So, and you know what I'm saying? The ancestors, before I went out there, the ancestors had told me that China wouldn't be good for me. And you know what I'm saying? It's a very vague statement because it's like, it won't be good for me in, in what facet? Like, what do you mean by that? So I um, I just wasn't sure, but I'm like, man, they ain't tell me this until like two days before my flight takes off. I'm like, well, <laughs> at this point, we're going to have to, you know what I'm saying? Hey, it's a little too late for that. Like, mm-hmm. flight's booked, you know what I'm saying? Money's already been spent. Things is in motion. Like, yeah, we're going to do this. So we're going to have to compromise and make some shake. So I had to do a sacrifice. Um um, but I wasn't able to do it just cause just the time for, like I leave in like two days. So I had to get the, um, the person that was delivering the messages from the spiritual realm to me had to do a sacrifice for me. Um, and then once, you know what I'm saying? I was in China, I was praying to him every Thursday while I was out every Thursday I was out there. Um, especially once we moved into the apartment every Thursday, I put, you know what I'm saying? I cooked and prayed to him um even though on, ironically the day i got locked up i did it <laughs> like i did it that morning and then a couple hours two hours later boom you know what i'm saying now i'm getting arrested for uh for uh weed but it's like hey that's why i knew i was gonna be good i'm like bro i prayed to the ancestors today you know what i mean and then they told me um they gave me plenty of signs that you know what i'm saying my behavior and uh choices could uh lead me into in a situation like this and shit i chose to ignore him so the fact that this is where we at with it hey man accountability but it's accountability i gotta take i gotta take accountability so i know i'm gonna be good i'm just gonna continue to pray for strength and um just peace of mind and you know what i'm saying keep me motivated and encouraged you know what i'm saying through the trying time but an argument could be made, Chance, though, that this traumatic event really turned your life around in a different direction. It made you become an author, or I shouldn't say made right. you, but it was the catalyst, the, the you know, the energy, the engine to make you an author. Yeah, facts. Yeah, it was definitely um, like when fo- – so I played football vast majority of my yeah. life, um, high school and throughout college as well. So once college – I mean, once f- football came to end my senior year of college – I was like, all right, shit, boy, chance. You've identified as a student athlete and as a football player for a good portion of your life, and you've embodied you've embodied it to the fullest. And now that is no longer the case. Who are you? What's next? What do you like to do? What do you want out of life? What do you see yourself doing? What's your purpose? I couldn't answer any of these goddamn questions. <laughs> and it took all that tra- you know what I'm saying the job search and trial and error with that finally landed something going to China getting locked up and again, <laughs> now I'm coming back home and now I'm back at square one all over again when football came to it like when football came to end and I done graduated like that I'm back at square one I ain't got nothing going on you know what I'm saying I had a little thing going and well that shit just blew up in my face so hey it's a setback but this is also when a leader thrives. So it's like, shit, what are we going to do? And I'm like, shit, 
we already got a little bit of experience with the teaching, so we might as well see what and with your experience being overseas, I'm like, that's that should open some doors right there. So I'm like, let's continue to work that one and um see what that gets us. So I still I'm still in education. I ended up, I ended up falling into coaching. Um that was just going up to my old high school because one of the little homies that was playing at the time was like, hey, bro, come watch this workout. You know what I'm saying? In the morning, I'm like, right, I go up there, watch y'all. And just me going up there just to watch them. And then when they broke off into positional groups and I'm going down there with the DBs and then just watching and then just giving small point. I ain't even – I'm just giving small pointers here and then, like, pull them to the side, getting the pointers. And just me doing that, I ended up – that's how I ended up coaching – now I coach high school football as well. So that's – Failing the coaching, still teaching, and it's like, hey, man, boy, you should write a book about the experience. Damn, boy, that's a good ass idea. I could write a book. <laughs> now, now, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I done wrote, done wrote, started writing 14 days, um, and publishing 14 days, 14 days going crazy, um, and then just of course, there's more opportunities opening with that. Now, you know what I'm saying? Coaching at risk teens, um, in my county. And we that been arrested for drugs or you know what I'm saying, just doing hot shit. And we use 14 days in Beijing as a part of our lessons to pull our life skills from. You know what I'm saying? And this is a story that they really can relate to. You know what I'm saying? Vast majority of them for sure. Um so just opportunities like that. Um owning my own publishing company, which all my books are published through, and starting a, a coaching service, coaching aspiring authors, uh now. So um I was, I already have one. A candidate that's actually done finished the whole process. He just, um, his book just published, um, released today, ironically. Wow. So y'all go get that. It's called The Fatherless Child. Um, and it's ranked the number one new uh, bestseller in the LGBTQ drama. Um, so I'm extremely proud for him and to be a part of the project because as I was working, helping him the whole process i like yeah but it's gonna go crazy it gave me the same vibes i was getting when i was writing 14 mm. days i'm like oh, yeah, bro, this, this story gonna go hard like so yeah y'all definitely go get that man father's child um so yeah so continue to uh grow that service um I also help rent cars out on Turo, so i have a car rental business um trying to get more cars well i will get more cars added to the fleet um <laughs> so yeah you know what i'm saying it took all of that China, you know what I'm saying, getting locked up, all of that for me to be in the position that I am now and to showcase to y'all who I am and tell you exactly what I enjoy, what's my purpose, you know what I'm saying, all of that, the show. How is Victor, Lenny, and Bruce? <laughs> um, Victor and Lenny, straight. Um, Victor, Victor, his birthday was not too long ago, um, just passed recently. Not too, you know, I want to say last month. Um but he's still in Brazil. Lenny is in China. Lenny's in China. Ironically, he's in Hong Kong. Um, Bruce, I ain't, I, ain't, I, ain't. No, <laughs> I don't no. know what Bruce got going on. Boy. I, I, I hope cuz straight though. Hope he good. What? Yeah, I don't know about Bruce. Yeah, Bruce has an interesting story, y'all, for sure. <laughs> 14 Days in Beijing, it's a must read. Or you can even listen to it. The Audible Audible's really good. You actually have uh, different kind of people come in for the different accents and everything. That was done really Wait, well. Uh, well. It's really just me and uh, the engineer. We just voice acting everybody. You're yeah. kidding me. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. 
So on the podcast, Chancellor, you know, I lost a lot of weight. I know you're an athlete and I lost a lot of weight. People always ask me how I uh, lost it and uh, like they want some secret. And I always say discipline. You know, uh, the doctor told me I wasn't going to see my daughter graduate. I, w- I got myself up to 340 pounds. I was working too much. And then, you know, I, the doctor scared me. And I lost a bunch of weight in the next, you know, 15 months or something, 13 months. And so it's just discipline and focus. I wonder yeah. how discipline plays a role in your life. Um, as far as just really. Let's talk about being an author first. Okay. As far as being an sure. author, how did discipline uh, play a role there? Um, I definitely knew. I had to write every day. Like it mm. took me four months to write 14 days in Beijing just because I really wasn't consistent with it. Like I'll write for a span of days, then I take a couple of days off and then, you know what I'm saying, get back to it. It was just like I wasn't consistent. And then with my other two books, uh, You Love, You Learn, Real Love Never Dies, I was completely tunnel vision locked in. I wrote that whole series, that two book saga in two and a half weeks. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, okay, I could see. I, you know what I'm saying? Man, you can spit books out fast. You know what I'm saying? You just got to be locked in. You got to find a, build a schedule and writing needs to be through, periodically throughout your entire itinerary, for sure. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then just when once the writing, getting the story written is going to be the big, that's the re- biggest workload. Getting the thing written and perfected. After that, Everything else pretty much a breeze um, until you publish it, and then marketing got to be. You know what I'm saying? Marketing now that's a whole nother ball. Okay, you, okay, you mm. released it, but all right, if you don't tell nobody about it, how the hell are folks gonna know to go buy it? So it's like you got to marketing. You got to. I was going crazy with that marketing. When I first dropped 14 days. Like once I sell, it went number. It just went number one with just me, just publishing it now. Right. Everybody's not gonna have that fortune. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like even when I did have that fortune, that just pushed me to, oh yeah, I really gotta get, I gotta push this even harder now. You know what I'm saying? So man, doing all interviews, um traveling and um going on tour, doing a lot of different photo shoots, having content to post, um hitting up influencers to market it, um Paying people to uh, read the book and leave reviews, all different types, just marketing it, marketing it, marketing it, mm. um, and just staying consistent with that marketing. Um, definitely, you got to for sure. Getting trying to get into the ads, running ads, um, yeah, definitely that's that's challenging right there because um, you got to be very strategic when you're running ads. You don't want to just be wasting your money, so you got to make sure you set that thing up perfectly. Um, and it's targeting the right people. So every time somebody clicks on your ad, you know what I'm saying, they, your click-through rate is is at a high and you getting them sales at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, that's it. it, it, it. You got to be consistent for sure and just being dedicated. got to be dedicated. And you played football in high school, then D1 in college. And that, that sport just lends itself to a, a, a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, especially at the collegiate level, for sure. It's like, as you know what I'm saying, pretty much semi pro college, right. you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. And then you, 
depending on your coach, your discipline is going to be in order. That's just going to be um, an expectation. You know what I'm saying? If you can get down, you, you know what I'm saying? Get down. If not, you can pack your bags and they'll see you on about your way and they'll bring somebody else on in here just like that. So it's like, yeah, for sure. If it's something you're truly passionate about, you're going to make sure you do what you need to do to be successful. And you talk about that when you were job searching after school, that you had the discipline because of given that background, you had the kind of desire, but, but certain opportunities weren't weren't presenting themselves. And that's when you seized upon China. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, I got a job search every day. And just like when I was trying to figure out a school to go to, you know what I'm saying? Mm. I wasn't recruited, you know what I'm saying? At to Stetson, I ain't, you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't have a bunch of offers and interest. Like, oh no, but ain't nobody know who I was. I had to market myself. I had to email and reach out to schools, Facebook messenger, Twitter, DM and folks. I was doing that. So it's like, and I had, I'm like, I can't just do this one day and it's like, all right, that's good. No, you got to do this every day. There's a lot of schools out there. Yeah. So with that being said, you got a lot of work to do. You got to hit up all these smash. That's a lot of schools. So, and it was the same with uh, job search. I'm like, I'm not going to find something. Somebody going to say yes eventually. The moment I say, I, the moment I get hang up the towel, shit, I'll definitely, I'll never get the yes. If I throw in the towel, I'll never get the yes. So it's like, yeah, that's not an option. <laughs> got to stay down. Got to stay down to come up. Chancellor K. Jackson, what motivates you? Man, I just, me, you know what I'm saying? I just, I'm, I've always felt like I was destined for greatness. Um, hmm. I always had set high expectations for myself and I've always, and I've achieved a lot of, you know what I'm saying, great things thus far along my journey. Um, manifested a lot as well. Um, so it's just me being the best version of me and reaching my fullest potential that I know, you know what I'm saying, I'm capable of doing. And I also have a lot of people that, you know what I'm saying, just rooting for me as well. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? People got to, I know, I mean, I, I always set the bar, bar high for myself, always, you know what I'm saying, for sure, no matter what I do. Um, so just trying to be great, man. I've always been an underdog, always, especially with football. Football is my very first love, very first passion. And that game wasn't just given to me. I ain't started playing football until eighth grade, 13 years mm -hmm. old. Most people, most Folks been playing since they was knee high to a bullfrog, four five years old. So I was late to the game, and so with that, I was missing the developmental piece of the sport. Um, so it was I had to play a lot of catching up to do. I ain't really played my first year. Like, you know what I'm saying? Wasn't physically, you know what I'm saying, developed, nor as far as mentally developed to, you know what I'm saying, learn actual organized football. Now, all I knew was catch and run, but I'm going to run this go and throw it. That's <laughs> What are you talking about, X, Y, Z? I'm like, what, 91, 92? I'm like, what are y'all talking about? All this what, terminology? I'm like, well, I don't know. What the so it was just a rude awakening. And then I picked it up, you know what I'm saying, the next year, you know what I'm saying, well, I worked out over the years, developed my body a little bit more, um, lost the weight, got a little bit more swollen, um, run a little bit better. Okay, now, and I gained more knowledge of, you know what I'm saying, uh, free safety. That's the uh, position I played. Um, so uh, I was I started my freshman year and then started my sophomore year. I started freshman 
my freshman year playing freshman ball. Sophomore year on JV started. Then I moved from free safety to the strong safety. Um, sophomore year, and then junior year, all right, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm still at strong safety. I'm like, I'm ready to play varsity. Um, coaches ain't really see that fit, so they put me back on JV. Um, and that was, you know what I'm saying, another test of adversity I had to face with the game that I love. And it was like, damn, I'm working hard. I'm putting effort into uh, this this game. I'm putting in work outside of, you know what I'm saying, what we're doing in practice. You know what I'm saying? I'm putting in the hours and I make my grades and shit is straight. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing good. I'm stacking good on good. Why am I not reaping the benefits? Hmm. And and I was just like, I, I, and that shit fucked me up. I ain't going to hold you. Like, that, that, it bothered me. I'm like, bro, why are y'all trying to make me play JV when the person y'all trying to start over me ain't even better than me? So it was like, I had a choice. I was like, I do. I, I want to play college football. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta play. You know what I'm saying? I can't transfer nowhere. So it's like, hey man, you gonna do, you gonna do, hey, you gonna have to thug it and just grind. Um, and that's what I did. I put just, man, put my head down and I just grinded. And I, I was going crazy that JV season my junior year. I'm talking, about I'm averaging two, three picks a game, and about halfway through. The season they moved me up to varsity. Um, mm. And on my very first varsity game, I start. I got to play in. I picked up the number two quarterback in the nation at the time. Wow! So after that, shit, boom! It stamped to prove. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I, I can play. <laughs> so I was able to finish the rest of the uh, season on varsity, which is only like a couple of games, like three, three games, something like that. Um, and then, of course, my senior year. I'm starting now. Now I'm, I move from free safety to strong safety. Now I'm at corner. My senior year, I, I don't play every. I don't play every position in the secondary, but I got the developmental piece at, at free safety. And then I was moved to strong safety, so I had to get developed at that position. Okay, once so I got developed at that position, now they move. Now I'm at corner. Uh, so now this is a whole other position. It's still a part of the same unit, but it's a whole other position. I got to get development in. Um, even though I have somewhat of an understanding, but as far as the depths and as when it comes to fundamentals of this position, like that's where I was lacking. Um, and my coach at the time ain't really – he played quarterback. One of them played quarterback in college, and the other one uh, played like strong – like outside linebacker. So they really ain't even have no true, true knowledge of, you know what I'm saying, as far as how to play that position. Um, so I just had to teach myself. Um, and I was, had some success. Um, I ain't really have the best senior year, but all in all, like, but I still played every position that senior year I played. Uh, they line me up at corner. They line me up at free. Or they'll put me down in the box at dog safety. So it's like I, I was all over the secondary my senior year. Um, so that I feel like that helped me as far as just mar- making me more marketable. You know what I'm saying? Okay, you can put him at more than one position. Um, and, you know what I'm saying, of course, his grades is A1. And, you know what I'm saying, everything else is – pretty much ready to go all he i just needed a school that was willing to say yes that's really everything else all my teeth cross eyes dotted i'm prepared um so once senior year came to end and he had nothing going on i'm like well all my all my t's crossed my eyes are dotted so all i need is just to find a school that's willing to bet on me everything else is squared away um so then that's that that was that journey and I started searching for schools, at least hitting schools up, 
as soon as the season ended, which was like November, and I ain't really, I ain't learned I was going to Stetson until like April. Hmm. Yeah. So that's that situation is similar to me job searching, and then coming back after being locked up from China, like all these situations are all similar. Like I didn't had to get shit out of the mud. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I've been able to accomplish what I set my mind out to do. So it's like, shit, bro, I motivate me. Well, I'm certainly uh, rooting for you, Chancellor. What? Oh, how do you measure success? Uh, like I, in quote to Nipsey Hussle, success is when you do what you love and you can profit from it. I think That's he put success. it best. I think he put it best. Yeah, I saw that quote on your website too. Such a great pleasure speaking with you today, Chancellor. I, I really enjoyed the book. I encourage everyone to to go get it. Your, your other two, like you mentioned before, you live and you learn. Real love never dies. Uh, I, I didn't read those yet, but those are next on the list. How can we get in touch with you? For sure. Um, I'm, a, I'm on every social media platform. Except TikTok, you ain't going to find me on there just yet. Um, but everything else you'll find me on, um, just Google Chancellor K. Jackson. All of them will pop up. Uh, my website, ChancellorKJackson.com, um, will pop up. Other interviews I've done will pop up. Um, you can get your copies of 14 Days in Beijing, You Love, You Learn, and Real Love Never Dies, available on Amazon, as well as my website. Um, if there are any aspiring authors out there, y'all can get in contact. Go, You can look at my service package on my website. Um, I'm also on Fiverr as well. Um, you can find me on Fiverr, too. Um, so yeah, y'all tap in with y'all boy for sure. Just Google me. And I'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes. Chancellor, what a great pleasure. Thanks so much for your time today. I hope one day to get down, uh, there to the Atlanta area. Maybe we can have a cup of coffee, my friend. For sure. Yeah. We're going to tap in. <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much for your time today. You be well. All right, family. Peace. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? $25, $50, $100, $500, $1,000, $5,000. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations.